0: Uh the excuse was, uh, the biggest excuse was, it wasn't that they were too far from Craig or they were too far from a church in their hometown. It was that they could worship in the woods and, or out on the ocean. And I sure like the, uh, did you see that comic in our bulletin there? Uh, why don't you read that one for me? Uh, who wants to? Ah, uh, Fred! Wake him up and have him read the comic in the bulletin. Pat, give him a bulletin and make him read it. (laughs) There's a joke in there, and you can read it, and it kind of goes along with that. I had a pastor once, a good man of God, ran the biggest independent fundamental Baptist church in the state of Wisconsin. We ran over 500, and this was back in the 60s. Read that joke out loud for us. (laughs) <laughs> and thanks to Brother Jim, he does a great job with our bulletin. I keep giving him more and more battle plans, and he comes up with better ones on his own. But uh, the pastor, he had a man in his congregation that I had the misfortune to call on a few times. And he was an independent kind of fellow and had his own responsibilities and it was accepted. Christ as his personal Savior, but he'd come to church about every three months especially when we had meals <laughs> and uh, he, he, we wanted him to participate with the congregation and his excuse was always that he watches it on TV and they're far better more eloquent than the pastor which is not an argument with me but uh uh as far as they being better speakers but uh he held to that and he I says well do you do you give anything to the lord yeah he says i send in to. i got their little plaque here they give for you know so many tears club and this i got this handkerchief and i got this thing and that and i go what a what a terrible thing that he sends it so far away and the local church is right here a good local church and didn't disagree with us doctrinally or anything just thought it was much more convenient to go to church in his underwear or his pajamas than than to get dressed up and see other people and you know the hypocrite arguments always come up and what I tell people with that talk about the hypocrite argument is you know you don't like sister so-and-so because she's a hypocrite and you don't like to go to church and sit there and see the hypocrites in the front or in the back or like brother Fred in the corner (laughs) you uh but I says I said to this this is uh, this is a commercial in the middle of my illustration uh I says to the lady, I says, well, you know, I see her over at the grocery store. I see her over at the uh, at the 5 and 10 right there at the end of the street there. She goes to that quite a bit. Where do you go with grocery shopping? <laughs> I, you know, and that's, that's, that's things preachers deal with. Now, back to the pastor, I'm telling you. He was a great man of God and uh, stayed with the church 32 years and grew it from his living room to 500 plus. And that church is in existence today. And one of the reasons I'm standing before you is he had a Bible institute in that church, which he didn't teach much. You know, he had a class or two, but uh, I'm a product of that Bible institute there that J. Frank Norris, if you know your names, and that doesn't mean much to a lot of people, that he initially set up and established. But back to the story. This gentleman wouldn't come to church. That's fine. And we ministered to him from afar. Uh, He'd listen once in a while to our radio broadcast we had at that church and uh, would comment about it when he came to let us know he would tune in to us once in a while. uh, He had a terminal illness that was coming on rather quickly, and he called the pastor. Now, I don't know what I would do in that situation, but he called the pastor and says, I need you to come and see me. He said, call Brother Graham, Billy Graham. He says, that's where you've been sending your money. That's where you brag about your participation. He says, call called Brother Billy Graham. So if you're thinking about dying, you might as well go to a good fundamental church. <laughs> if you want to get buried properly. Uh, that, uh, that, is, that is tough. But I, wouldn't, I don't say I'd subscribe to that, but that's the feelings you put a pastor through when it comes down to those things. It just It's, it's very hurtful sometimes. And it's not the way God would want you to do it. I don't have anything. I, I got books in my library. By some people, I would be afraid to name them over this pulpit. But when I read them, I pray before I read them. Yeah. And I ask for God's discernment. And sometimes I cross out or tear out pages, but uh, I, I, I have to uh, have to confide in you that far. Uh, where we're at is Hebrews 10:24 and 25, and that's the flavor I'm giving it to you about. This is just the introduction. They're getting kind of terrible lately, I suppose, because I don't get enough said through the week. I got Brother Fred taking all my time at night. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love to do good works. And that's what happened in Sunday school today, and that's what's going to happen tonight, and that's what's going to happen right now. doesn't say to preach the gospel all the time. It says, let us consider one another, and this is to brethren, up at verse 19. It's to believers in Christ. It's to the Hebrew people. And uh, let us draw nigh with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. In John chapter four, verse seven, he talks about a water that springs within us that we shouldn't thirst no more. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith, faith without wavering, for it is faithful. It, he is faithful to fulfill that promised. And that promised is those things that we receive from the knowledge and understanding of God's word. Verse 24, let us consider one another unto, to provoke unto love and to good works. It's kind of hard to provoke somebody to love you. I've had people try that. But uh, we, uh, we need to stir one another's heart and encourage one another unto good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is but exhorting one another, that's encouraging one another, and exalting one another as so much more as you see the day approaching. What's the day? I always like to say Sunday, but it's not necessarily Sunday. As we are going to be looking at in the evening services with Brother Fred, uh, we're going to see, well, the lectures, but uh, we're going to see uh, the day approaching. Turn on the news this morning. There's a day approaching. Even the broadcasters on the news say it's ominous what situations we're in and the pending times we're in. The Lord may tarry, as he as He wills, a 100 years, but it's approaching, and there's no turning back. It could be 10 minutes. There's nothing in the way of everything breaking loose. And that's one reason we're taking the time for... Uh, the, to just look at the end times and prophecy and stuff and consider some of the things that have fallen in place in our evening services. Uh, that's all been said. God knows. God knows your reasons for, I'm not just trying to make this a big church attendance type of thing. I'm just reminding you and exhorting you to be faithful and attend. And when you can, you can I know we're in a country, in an age, and at a time where we're pulled in a thousand different directions. And uh, God knows. And that's where we're springing off into our message, Isaiah 59, 12, for our transgressions. And it's entitled, God Knows. And you go to the book of Isaiah. We're going to have six verses in the Old Testament and six verses in the New Testament. And look at salvation from the perspective of the whole Bible. I purposely avoided the uh, classical Romans Road, which I pointed out to several people from different denominations and different inquiries as they looked at their John and Romans. It's written on the inside cover. It's underlined as you move through the book, and the assurance of salvation is even underlined as you get to about page 68 or 4, I believe, in the book. And uh, all it is is underlined scripture. It's not anything else. And uh, the Romans Road this is in the book of Romans, and book of John talks about salvation. I'm going to stay away from those classic verses, and I want to show you how in the Bible, Scripture, we're true to the Bible, you're going to find salvation in every book of the Bible. There's some that it's a little harder than others. I have to admit to myself, the book of Exodus, you have to get a little theological to find it sometimes, but it's in every book of the Bible. And so we're going to start out in Isaiah 59.12, where it says... God knows where we're at, where each one of us are at spiritually, emotionally, physically. He's the one who judges. He's the one who judges our salvation. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee. Our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. Now, iniquities are something that take place a lot more inside than outward appearances. Webster's Dictionary says sin is simply to miss the mark. You can look at the Greek, you can look at the Hebrew, it all means basically you miss the mark. Our transgressions is another thing, there's three categories here written out. Our transgressions, our sins, and our iniquities, and they all have different meanings. Now, our transgressions, it simply means to pass or cross over the line. Makes sense, doesn't it? Bible's its best dictionary. God knows where we've crossed over the line. God knows when we've missed the mark. And it's kind of a polite way of saying you're a sinner <laughs> when you just simply missed the mark. Because it, 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 it takes into account that all of us are at least trying. Unfortunately, some of us go beyond that into our iniquities. And our iniquities are gross injustice. Or wickedness. That's what iniquities mean. Gross injustice or wickedness, basically of a spiritual nature or non physical type. Putin is com- committing gross injustices, both physically and emotionally and spiritually, upon those people and upon the world. He's a testimony of wickedness to the entire universe right now. Letting you know, I get up in the morning a little bit upset. I, I, if I was younger, I'd enlist. If it'd do any good, <laughs> I think I'd go join a different group of people. Uh, but uh, that's where we're at. We're all violated by his gross iniquities. And that's what iniquity is about. Thou ha- and let's go to Psalms, verse ni- chapter 90 of Psalms, verse 8. Psalms. 90 verse 8. You got to go back a couple pages. Psalms 90 verse 8. This is God's perspective of us. For once he said, For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, our sins testify against us, for our transgressions are with us, and for our iniquities we know them. Personal thing. Psalms 90, verse 8 says, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee and our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. God knows your heart. God knows if you're faking it. God knows if you're, if you're in your inabilities. He knows your capabilities. He knows whether your excuses are justified. I'm not trying to figure it out. And I don't expect anybody else to figure mine out. Uh, they're, they're probably very transparent or very uh, in-your-face kind of things, but at the same time, God knows them. God knows why you don't go to church. God knows why you can't make it. God knows why you're there. God knows if you're really saved. God knows how you've behaved. God knows if you give. You can ask Brother uh, Kevin. I don't know who gives in this church. I don't want to know who gives. I don't even know how much my wife gives to this church. I know she gives my tithe out of my basic subsistence check, and I don't. I don't keep track of it. So God knows where you stand that way. He knows where I stand that way. My Bible says it's not to let the right hand know what the left is doing, you know. And it also says if your hand offends you, cut it off. But the Lord knows, and the Lord understands, and he sees, and he knows why you're here today, and he knows what for, and he knows how come, and he knows what you're going to walk away with. It's my job to, I often think I'm standing up here with a shotgun trying to kill an elephant, and uh, I don't know what your sins are. I don't want to know what they all are. If they don't come screaming out at me, I really don't care. I care in the sense of a pastor, and I want to help you overcome them, and I want to help you get victory over them, but I don't aim at anybody in particular. Psalms 103, verse 10. He, meaning God, hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. That's Psalms 103, verse 10. He, that is God, hath not, he doesn't deal with us, deal with us after our sins. Now that word is according to, we get that, after it implies that we, he doesn't deal with us in relationship to our sins. He looks at us just like I just told you I have to look at everybody else, we're all sinners. You know, my dogs ran off on me up there at Nocatee this week, and I ran down the beach and fell over. Stumps and everything else, and was so mad at them. And I was ready to, sh- if I had had a gun. And I got, they, you know where they ran to? The grandkids' house down the beach. So they did and they were there. You hear <laughs> They They know I'm talking about them. And when they when they come back, they had this puppy look in their eyes, and they just. Oh, you know, I'm so sad. Are you really upset with me? And I just didn't say. It. I just—they could tell I was upset. It was two days before I fed him. My wife fed him. And I think that's how God gets with us a lot of times. He—he he looks at us and he loves us. He just handles us as much as he has to. Then. Wouldn't you? Rather, and now they all made friends with me this morning, and they probably heard me raise my voice, <laughs> and that's why they're barking. Uh, either that, or Romeo come by. Romeo is the, <laughs> the neighborhood dog. Uh, God deals with us. It's so much easier to deal with us. He knows where we're at as sinners when we're trying to be good, when we're trying to respond to Him. They ran around the kitchen this morning just following me all over, making me feel guilty. You know, They knew everything was all right because I fed them this morning. We come to God asking for groceries. We come to God asking to be fed. And he has to, well, let the Holy Spirit do it today. <laughs> you know, where are you at with him? What's your relationship with him? That's why you come to church is to work on that relationship, to encourage yourself with that relationship, to work with each other. So, God hath not dealt, I said God, but the word is He in Psalms 103.10. He, God, hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. If we got what we deserved, there wouldn't be such a thing as grace and mercy. First Peter 2.24, we'll jump into the New Testament. We're talking about who now. First Peter 2.24, way to the back of your Bible consistency of God's word is amazing. I got a little book in my library I just unpacked the other day. uh, Most of my library, 1 Peter. And it's about the consistency of God's word. How things weave through God's word. One thing I learned, and you've heard it from the pulpit here, is how God talks about trees all through scripture. He talks about snakes all through the scripture. There's consistency in there. God offers you a base, a foundation, and a consistency in his word that you owe it to yourself to follow through and uh, try to understand. If you think you know all of them, I'll gladly yield this pulpit to you because I certainly don't know all of them. But God will uh, enlighten you and give you consistency. A double-minded man in James, it says, is unstable in all his ways. He will help solidify and stabilize your spiritual growth and your relationship with Him. But you have to put about as much work in it as He does. And how much work did He put in it? We'll find out in a minute. Who, and that's Jesus Christ, His own self, bear our sins in His own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. There's a lot of things invested in that verse. The first thing is who, geez, who, and that's the issue of Jesus Christ. That's who they're talking about. His own self, his free will, he did it on his own accord. He had a choice involved. Bear our sins. Our sins is universal. Our sins is plural. Our sins and his own body. He gave himself for us, out of a free choice and his own body on the tree. You take a free choice, and you take a free will, and you combine it with sacrifice, and you have grace. Grace. He bare it, and we see grace demonstrated. We, being dead to sins, that's Christians now, those who have accepted that gift of grace we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. That, why did he do it? He gave himself, his own body, on the tree for each one of us out of his choice and he, his free will so that we, could, uh, being dead to sin, would have a free choice and our own free will exercised in our relationship to him. I didn't tie my dogs on a leash and make them come home. My dear wife brought them home. And then when I fed them this morning, I didn't scold them or tell them anything. I fed them, and then they followed me into the house upstairs there. Now they're outside waiting for me. We've renewed a relationship of their choice to follow me and my choice to give myself back to them. And God does the same thing. Our salvation hinges on three things. Well, it doesn't hinge on three things. Our relationship with God, rather, hinges on our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship with Jesus Christ hinges on his three things. Salvation, service, and sacrifice. And I get the same thing as that gentleman we talked about in the illustration. Both those people I talked about have been dead for over 20 years the pastor, and the gentleman. They're both in heaven now, and they've got a relationship now. (laughs) And God wants to work that out with us. Does he have to kill us? or He's already killed his son. He's already allowed his son out of that choice. We have to maintain that relationship too. He wants us to choose to follow him. He wants us to choose to serve him wants us to make sacrifices for him those pups will be out this afternoon for a walk they'll be on a leash whether they get yanked or dragged or whether they get led on a leash is two different things it depends on how they want to maintain that relationship with me and I'm confident they'll. that it's there are you that confident that God doesn't have to drag you what is he dealing with in your life? Where is he going with your life? We, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, a purpose for life. Righteousness is simply right before God. Look it up. True righteousness means just right before God. By whose stripes ye are healed. We see those that, uh, two dots, one above the other, brings the next phrase back to the beginning. It's sort of like if it's 10, dot, dot, 15, you know it's 15 minutes after 10. We, it's who Christ, his own self, bear our sins in the body on a tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, back to the same. The next statement magnifies that, by whose stripes ye are healed. You've been forgiven. The dogs have been fed. It's the relationship God's standing there now with you, wanting to rework it and establish it. By the way, I got the screens ordered for the church, and the window's fixed. They're going to be fixed soon. <laughs> I see it's getting warm in here. Galatians 1.4, who Jesus Christ gave himself is where we're going next. Uh, right before God is a th- free choice. We go to Galatians 1.4. We won't be there too long. Who? Again. Gave himself for our sins. Who is Jesus Christ? He gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from his present, this present evil world. And that's where I had to stop and pray and uh, ask uh, God to continue to enlighten us through Brother Fred as he delivers the messages of end times to us. We live in an evil world. We need to understand a little bit about it. We don't have to know every little jot and tittle. We just have to trust in God's word. But Brother Fred's trying to show us how to trust in God's word by what has happened in the past, being cognitive or being knowledgeable about what's taken place and is taken place. I realize not everybody has a television. I realize not everybody has access to public Uh, news. And if you do, sometimes it's not even real news. When I was at Brother Everett Sullivan, the preacher that got arrested and taken out of his church for his refusal to take and have his church submitted to government uh, certification, his school especially, and when he refused that, he was drug out of his church, there was over 5,000 preachers present. Preachers present when they literally took him Uh, from the front pew, kneeling down, and the police department came in and physically grabbed him and about ten other preachers, that's all they had room for, and took him out and arrested him and put him in a paddy wagon and hauled him off to the county jail. I was there. I wasn't sitting in the front pew. I didn't have enough brass then. I was just a little preacher boy. The newscast said there was just under 30 preachers there. I counted them that was one of my jobs picked the little tabber thing you know and catch them at the door and then I had to go out in the parking lot and the three four of us counted them but the local the local news and the national news 30 so one but somebody, somebody conceded that there was over a hundred and that was CBS NBC what 50 40 well I'd be 30 and I'm much over 30 now I was at least 25 30 years ago So what's it now? What's it now? So uh, that's why we're having uh, uh, some discussions in the evening services about where we're standing today in relationship to the world as Christians. Miss Little Miss McCoy is going to read a letter from my Sunday school teacher. The second witness to why we're going to do this, uh, why we're going to, you know, why we've done this. And it was a letter from my Sunday school teacher. She'll read it tonight. That I had when I was 14, 13, 14 years old, 15. I've maintained a, a light relationship with him. Every couple of years, he pops in. If He knows where I'm at. So I sent him one of those letters. I sent out to everybody here, and I sent him a letter. He sent me a book. Written by a liberal college, liberal a liberal Christian college, but a, a verified Christian college. Moody Bible Institute is nothing to frown about, but they're not the same stripe we are as far as I look at them as Coast Guard, and we're, we're Marines. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But uh, it's, uh, the top title of the book is, written by the president of the college. I say his name, some of you that know it. Uh, it says Christian persecution in this day and age. How to, how to, and subtitled, how to respond correctly to the assault on Christianity. We're coming into it. So I needed to, that's why I wanted some enlightenment and to let you know where I feel we are as a congregation, as a people. We're on the edge of some battles. If not us, our children. We need to be grounded, and the first thing we need to do is grind, ground ourselves in salvation in the relationship we have with our Savior, Jesus Christ. The next place we'll go as we conclude, and He, Jesus Christ, is the perpetuation for our sins, and not for ours o- only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Past, present tense, and that's 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. You can look at it. We're going to be on the word perpetuation for a few minutes, and we'll close that out. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, and Jesus Christ, it says, and he, I said in there indicating, you can see by the scriptures on either side of that, they're talking about Jesus Christ is the perpetuation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. He died for Putin. Jesus Christ died for Putin. He died for everybody who worships Putin. That's who he surrounds himself with. He died for our president too. He died for your boss. He died for your secretary. He died for everyone, your enemies. He died for everyone. And if he made that kind of sacrifice for everyone, how do you expect him to do much for you if that's all you are is the same as everyone else? And he, Jesus Christ, is a perpetuation for our sins and not ours only but for the whole world. Christ died for everyone. Taking a look. Perpetuation. I told you we'd talk about it for just a minute. Perpetuation is the act of appeasing or making well well concerning a deity, thus incurring divine favor or avoiding divine retribution. The world runs on that. The reason you don't hear much about the Philistines anymore is they didn't have a centralized religion. Any The Incas had a centralized re- religion, and they believed in appeasing their gods, and they practiced it, and they dominated South America. Their temples are still being found today as they clear jungle away. The uh, Egyptians appeased their gods. They perpetuated They're gods. That's where you hear about sacrifices. And the whole thing of blood being shed for sin is nothing new. In the biblical times, sure, it was practiced. And the Old Testament was all about the appeasement, the perpetuation of blood being shed for sin. And uh, uh, the world, it's synonymous to pacify, uh, to participate. Examples of perpetuation in this day and age is the act of making peace or doing something pleasing for someone. An example of perpetuation is offering a gift to a former boss's enemy. Wow. Business enemy. business Former business, boss's business enemy. That's what perpetuation's all about. Jesus Christ perpetuated himself for you and I. Here in his love, let's go to the last one, and I did hit 1 John. We'll stop at 1 John, and I'll just summarize very shortly here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. 1 John, way towards the back again. I think we're going to bounce to Malachi and Psalms and Jeremiah, but I'll read those to you. 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10, it says... Herein, and that simply means this is, is love, not that we love God. He didn't do anything for us because we loved Him. But that He loved us and sent His Son to be a perpetuation for our sins. That's 1 John 4.10 and 1 John three five. Go back a page and you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. He fulfilled God's demand for sin being taken away. God's demand that sin could not be in his presence, that sin could not be in heaven. And uh, manifested means to make clear disclosure, make apparent, obvious, or evident. And so, Jesus Christ... Took our sins away. In Him there was no sin. Then we'll go to for He for I delivered unto you, and that's uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen. No, we'll go down to Malachi seven nineteen. Malachi 7, 19. There are two verses I really love in Malachi, and that's the one that was with our bulletin. I think our bulletin this week says something about Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a companion verse to that, a double witness to that, that says God never changes in Malachi. And the other verse, there's actually three pinnacle verses in the book of Malachi. And the other one's about tithing. I won't say that's my favorite, although uh, Brian, you threw some money on the floor down there. (laughs) Uh, The other one is uh, in Malachi is... uh, he will turn again, he has compassion upon us, he will subdue our iniquities, and he will cast all our sins onto the depths of the sea. And if that isn't enough, what he does with our sins or what God has done with our sins because of his son in perpetuation for our sins did for us, God has removed our sins in Psalms 103, 12, it says he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. So not only did he throw them away in the ocean, he took them as far as the compass goes east and west. Took them away from us. That's Malachi 7.19, Psalms 103.12, Jeremiah 31.34, and God, and the verse is actually, God would forgive all our iniquities and remember our sins no more. Let's all stand. So he did some things for us. It says in other places in the scripture that he forgave us our sins, of course. we, And he's taken them as far as the east as the west, thrown them in the ocean. He remembers them no more. He forgets our sins. And he loves each one of us. Are you standing right before God? It also says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you know, We don't always confess them, do we? Uh, I think of the fellow that uh, I've seen people die in sin that I know were saved or felt they were saved. They didn't have a chance to confess them. He's already understood that. He's already taken care of that. You can't lose what he's given you. You can't.